What is oneness? What does oneness mean to you? When I looked at Joe's sermon titles for this summer, the theme of loving others' oneness seemed like a good continuity. But I really had no idea of how this theme of oneness would play out. So as the time to write drew near, I began to seriously wonder what oneness meant, what it meant to me, what it might mean for you, both individually and as a congregation. I wondered when I had ever felt oneness or whether I had even ever felt oneness. And then I remembered a time when I was singing with station singers and we were singing Brahms' Requiem. Not only had one of the songs from that Requiem been sung at my brother's funeral service many years earlier, but this particular winter had also been a season of recent loss. I poured my grief into that music, and singing that night was an experience I had not felt before, nor have I felt since. Inhaling and exhaling with the whole choir, air flowing in, song flowing out, an experience I could later describe only as a feeling of total and complete oneness with the music. Another way that I have feel, felt oneness is with my grandchildren, when just before Christmas, I fortuitously found a snow globe with a pair of cardinals inside. I'd wanted cardinals because they carry a lot of symbolism and are believed in some cultures to be spiritual messengers between the physical world and the great beyond, giving hope and encouragement to keep moving forward. So on Christmas Day, I pointed out the new snow globe to my grandchildren. I had barely begun my explanation when my granddaughter interrupted, you, brought, you bought it to remember Grandpa. How did she know? There was no way that she could even have been told. But I often feel like she and I truly understand each other, and sometimes it's as though she has read my mind. Oneness. Perhaps you have felt oneness with nature. Perhaps there's been a time when you've been by yourself, maybe on the shore of a river, or watching the sunset across a lake. Or maybe you visited a park late in the season and found yourself alone with the sparrows and chipmunks nibbling on seeds, and a tree that needed a hug. Just you, experiencing oneness with God's creation. When you stop to think about it, what does oneness mean to you? In today's scripture focus, Jesus' prayer, his last recorded prayer for his disciples and for believers everywhere, is a prayer for oneness. Why is oneness so important to Jesus as he nears the end of his earthly life? I think it's not uncommon for dying parents to hope that their kids will get along after they are gone, that the heirs will not get a scrap over the will, that they will maintain the family unit. I've heard that expressed a number of times, and you may have as well. That is Jesus' wish also. Jesus longed that his followers should be united, that we should all be one, a unity that is informed and empowered by the unity of God and Christ. God's love is complete when we love completely. And why? Not only for our benefit, but so others will believe and follow Jesus' way of being in the world, 
a way of being that is consistently oriented toward love and justice and peace for all. Without that oneness, division and corruption wear down the witness of the church. We've seen that happen. It happened in the early church. Perhaps even then the church was seeing tensions, doctrinal disputes, and personality clashes that disturbed the church, making this prayer of Jesus so pressingly important to document. One commentary noted that the author understands that, the, that Christian fellowship can be permeated with hate, and what's more, Christians can make the dubious claim of living in the love of God while at the same time exercising active ill will toward one another. It's apparent that division has happened throughout the ages and it still happens today. In the fact, the division seems so huge that we know some hesitate to identify as Christians simply because of all the baggage perceived around that word. Without realizing how judgmental we were being, there was a time when we believed in hating the sin but loving the sinner. And today that judgmentalism continues and it appears that it's escalated to not only hating the sin, but very sadly, often hating the sinner as well. Clearly, Jesus' prayer for unity within the church and among believers remains unanswered. Unity seems a long distance away. The children are not getting along, and the witness of the church is being eroded. That being said, oneness is not easy. I know I don't find it easy. A few years ago, I was asked to spend a weekend working with a church, and I learned after agreeing to do it that an extended family member with whom I have had a long-standing issue was going to be in that church that same weekend. I realized that I needed to work on my attitude toward that person, and the way that I did it was similar to the meditation that Joe led in the first sermon of this series. By the time that weekend arrived, I felt I was ready. I had practiced. And while I don't remember the practice exactly, it was a loving-kindness meditation similar to this. May you be happy. May you be free from anger, pain, and suffering. May you walk with ease upon the earth. I repeated it over and over until I felt prepared. And in the end, the weekend not only went well, but it had done my heart some good. However... This spring, I unexpectedly ran into the same person again, a couple of times, no less, and both times I reacted negatively. The first time, I quickly moved in another direction, but I know our eyes met briefly. On the second occasion, I don't think I was seen. The thing is, I don't want to be like this. I don't want the way I live and move in the world, my orientation to life, to be, be, be determined by my negative attitude towards someone else. More than that, I don't want my orientation toward others to be anything less than compassionate, loving, and kind, ever. I don't want any corner of my heart to be filled with anger or bitterness or fear. I wonder if you have someone that you avoid. Are there people in your life, maybe in this church, that you would rather not talk to or be around? If so, what does meeting this person stir up in you? What is behind the dislike? Is it anger? Is it fear? Is this the way you want to be? The thing is, 
We perceive anyone who doesn't think like us to be a threat and an enemy to what we think of as our team. Apparently, we all have others, and we can point to those that we perceive to be them in opposition to those we perceive to be us, resulting in people taking sides and positions becoming polarized. Author Timothy Keller writes, to categorize people as the other is to focus on the ways they are different from oneself, to focus on their strangeness, and to reduce them to these characteristics until they are dehumanized. We can then say, we know who they are, so we don't need to engage with them." Unquote. In a Canadian news item a few weeks ago regarding a hate crime investigation in Alberta, I heard the words, they are dehumanizing those who aren't who they are. Sadly, when we dehumanize, terrible things can happen. Atrocities totally incompatible with love and unity. Keller goes on to say, one of the things I love and find endlessly frustrating about Jesus is that when he commands his followers to love and bless their enemies and neighbors, he doesn't offer any exceptions or caveats. The thing is, Jesus approaches life from the point of view of God. Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. This is it. Jesus, the human face and heart of God, is the embodiment of God's love for all, trying to show us how, in our world today, to live that out. I think it was Howard Thurman who noted that if we each embrace the idea that I am a holy child of God, that contains within itself often unrealized consequences. If I embrace this notion about myself, I must accept its corollary. That is, if I am a holy child of God, then so is everyone else. And if everything belongs, then no one needs to be punished, scapegoated, or excluded. In fact, Thurman maintains that if a person is of infinite worth in the sight of God, whether they be saint or sinner, whether they are a good person or a bad person, evil or not, if that is true, then I am never relieved of my responsibility for trying to make contact with this worthy thing in them. Thurman's daughter, Olive Thurman Wong, bemoaned the fact that people didn't fully comprehend the importance of oneness in her father's life and work. She said in an interview, oneness is an easy enough thing to bandy about. It's even an easy thing to profess until we realize that it must include not only the people we like and agree with, not only those to whom we are sympathetic, but also those whom we view as abhorrent, whatever side of a political political position we may hold. We don't get to choose who we are one with. It's everybody. We really should have capital letters on that. She points to the necessity of extinguishing bitterness within the heart in order to recognize adverse adversaries as holy children of God and emphasizes Jesus' teaching to love our enemies as a radical challenge to love as if everyone belongs. Brian McLaren, pastor and author, notes that Jesus doesn't dominate the other, avoid the other, colonize the other, intimidate the other, demonize the other, or marginalize the other. He, inc he incarnates into the other, joins the other in solidarity, protects the other, listens to the other, 
serves the other, even lays down his life for the other. As followers of Jesus, Christians are certainly not excused from being a beacon of hope, justice, and mercy to the whole world. Madeline Langle, author of the beloved novel, Wrinkle in Time, that my kids used to read, wrote, We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Why is oneness so important? It is important because life is hard. It is important because the world is a mess. Anne Lamott said in a post this week, life has been way, way too lifey this summer. She says, I'm kind of despaired out. I've catastrophe burnout. I wish there was a box that I could check on the menu that said gone fishing. Ukraine has taken up most of my compassion budget. The Earth's heat wave has used up my allocation for terror. And then we have the political poll numbers. And this does not even include the grief I feel for the people in my own small galaxy, where friends are under siege from disease, mental illness, and children of all ages who have had failure to, thr who have had failure to thrive for decades. I went back to reading the New York Times, to put it mildly, I did not find uplift and hope there. You can't just put your fingers in your ears and shout, la, 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 when you read about climate change deniers in high places or RFK Jr. People who were not raised by decent and politically active parents say dismissively, why don't you just turn off the news? But there is a democracy to save for our young. And we must remember Molly Ivings saying, freedom fighters don't always win, but they are always right. People with unshakable religious convictions pat you and then assure you that God works in mysterious ways, etc. Hey, thank you for sharing. Where does this leave me? Willing and wanting to get back in that boat and row, helping the poor, registering voters, picking up litter. But she says, maybe not today. Unquote. That's not the entire post, but I included that portion just in case we needed a reminder of just a few of the ways that the world is some distance from the way it could be. Sometimes all we can do is weep like Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and that is also good. It is important to weep. For as author Benjamin Perry has said, weeping is a reminder in our bodies that this is not the way that God intends for the world to be. He adds that our tears can be a gift which reminds us that we are inextricably linked to one another. He reminds us that we have a capacity for so much tenderness, so much beauty, so much love. If we do not show God's love to the world, the world cont will continue on its destructive path. Dare we believe it could be different? Dare we trust that others will believe and follow Jesus' way of being in the world? a way of being that is oriented toward genuine love and justice and peace that follow. One of my resources says, love is the force that has changed the world and could still change the world if only the followers of Jesus would really come on board with it. It adds, 
the church in every generation, in every place, and in every circumstance that embraces this word and faith will abide in peace, in joy, and in full confidence that the world will be finally drawn toward God." Unquote. Although, as we've heard from a different faith tradition, Valerie Coor in the book Joe has been talking about, See No Stranger, has similar words of hope. And if I'm repeating quotes from Joe's recent sermons, well, maybe they bear repeating. She says, and I quote, I believe revolutionary love is our best chance as individuals and societies to stay in the fire long enough to deliver the world longing to be, unquote. Changing the world, delivering, delivering the world longing to be. These are hope-filled words. Kaur goes on to say, all I can do is hold on to the vision of the world where every child feels found and every person is beloved. A world where we can look upon any face, even those we might fear, and find recognition. A world where we beckon each other to return to love. This work belongs to all of us. Revolutionary love is the choice to labor for others, for our opponents and for ourselves, in order to transform the world around us. It begins with wonder. You are a part of me I do not yet know. It is not a formal code or prescription, but an orientation to life that is personal and political, sustained by joy. Loving only ourselves is escapism. Loving only our opponents is self-loathing. Loving only others is, is uh, ineffective. All three practices together make love revolutionary and revolutionary love can only be practiced in community. Kur believes that when a critical mass of people come together to wonder about one another, grieve with one another, and fight with and for one another, we begin to build the solidarity needed for collective liberation and transformation, a solidarity rooted, solidarity rooted in, you guessed it, love." Unquote. This is what we do as a church community. Scriptures encourage us to live together in harmony when we read, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but give yourselves to humble tasks. We can live no other way. N.T. Wright author of the New Testament for Everyone series, maintains that love incarnate must be the badge that the Christian community wears, the sign not only of who they are, but who their God is. The rule of love is not an optional extra. It's the very essence of what we are about. Underline that quote. The ultimate aim of a Christian to orientate our life around Jesus, to live as Jesus lived, finding those who've been pushed outside the circle of care and inviting them back into community, into what Martin Luther King envisioned as beloved community, not where one side wins, but where all people have been drawn onto the same team, where all people, all people can live in peace. This is not about the easy to love people. This is about fostering love for those who are difficult to love those we tend to see as other. 
It seems to me that the only helpful purpose in seeing someone else as other is that in the recognition is that in the recognition we become aware of another person or even a group of people with whom we must find commonality and strive for oneness. And this is not just an outward thing. This is a heart thing. For a genuine oneness with God and with another can only be rooted in God's love. And God's love is complete when we love completely. The task may seem overwhelming, but Perry says, in a community, I'm just another person, and that's okay. We don't have to be everything. We don't have to change everything. We can do something, and we can do it very well. Similarly, Coor says, when I get overwhelmed, I ask, what is my role in this moment? I remember that I only have to shine my light in my corner of sky. Stephen Charleston, a Native American Episcopalian bishop that I follow on social media, says, practice is how we express our commitment to spiritual life. Practice meditation, practice prayer, practice compassion. Do them over and over again, even when you don't feel like it. All of the interior principles we live by become manifest when we translate them into action. They appear in reality and change reality. In matters of faith, practice may not make perfect, but it will come as close as it can." Unquote. So we can engage in a prayer or meditation practice for someone with whom we struggle. We can practice love when we stop to talk to someone in church who is outside our social circle and possibly alone. We can practice compassion when we say a brief prayer for someone walking down 8th Street who looks like they are having a hard life. We can practice compassion when we serve a meal at Friendship Inn. We can practice compassion when we weep for the people of Maui or West Kelowna or all the places that were mentioned this morning. When we orientate ourselves to being loving, there are so many, many ways to be love in the world, shining our light in our corner of the sky. Since we do have a capacity for so much tenderness, so much beauty, and so much love, remember that this human capacity to love is derived only from God. Oneness is the love that unites us and makes us one with God, the source and essence of love. For God and love cannot be separated. Remember that when we intentionally orient our lives toward love, God's love comes to complete expression, making that circle of love complete, wrapping love around us and the world. May we each be given this grace to complete God's love by loving completely. Amen.